So I had no idea that um, when I picked this slot that this is what was coming up. And what was interesting about it is, is this is exactly what I am working with at the moment in my life. Exactly. This is it for me. If you were to sum up, if I have to share with you my story of what God is doing with me at the moment, it is this. It's exactly this. It's exactly this. In fact, when I saw the title, I thought, just amazing. You somehow summed up my entire journey in those words at the moment. This is what's absolutely preoccupying my life, my mind, my heart, everything is around this for me at the moment. So we had a most amazing reading this week from Mark 9. And I personally couldn't get through the past the first three or four verses. I know it was, it was quite a lot of reading, wasn't it? Two chapters. I basically just got stuck on the first two verses. Sorry about that. But that's basically where I got to. And I want to read them out to you. And I want to read them out to you in the Passion, because I understand the Passion <laughs> version. After six days, Peter took the two brothers, Jacob and John, and hiked up a mountain to be alone. And Jesus' appearance was dramatically altered, for he was transfigured before their very eyes. Just sit with this for a moment. His clothing sparkled and became glistening white, whiter than any bleach in the world could make. Then suddenly right in front of them, Moses and Elijah appeared and they spoke with Jesus. And Alistair blurted out, beautiful teacher, this is so amazing to see the three of you together. Why don't you stay here and I'll make you three shelters? That's what I'd have done. I'd have done exactly what he'd have done. I'd have tried to fix it. Because I wasn't coping with it wasn't understanding it, so I'll fix it. I'll make it all come right, because I actually haven't got a clue what's going on here at all. I have not got a clue, and that's basically what it says. Peter, he did not have a clue. And what the others do? They just stood there, dumbstruck. They were just blown away. Then a radiant cloud began to spread over. Isn't it so annoying? Just as you're speaking, God turns up and interrupts what you're saying. So he's in his big little speech, running around trying to build shelters, and suddenly a cloud appears. And I don't think they're watching him building shelters. They're going, that's a cloud. A cloud's come from nowhere. And the cloud comes, and the cloud comes over. And it was a radiant cloud. A bit more bleach bit more brightness enveloping them all so the cloud comes down and envelops them all how scary would that have been if they're here they're not here and God's voice suddenly spoke from the cloud saying this is my beloved son always listen to him What an extraordinarily simple thing to say. I guess if you wanted to make it a bit more Jewish and Yiddish, it would be, this is my boy, listen to him. 
And then the next chapter or so really is about two things. It's about Jesus working with them, and it's about Jesus building two things. But the foundation for this transformation came out of rest. Jesus came in a position of rest. And the reason why Jesus went up the mountain is whenever Jesus went up a mountain, he went on a mountain to rest, to pray, to withdraw from the, from the multitude. So Jesus is moving into a position, a season, a vacation, a location of rest. And out of the rest, the transformation takes place. Okay? So, thought number one. When did you last rest in God? Are you striving for a transformation? Are you striving for your change? Or actually... Are you in a position of rest? And out of that rest, Christ will bring the transformation. Because there's nothing you can do about it, you see. All you can do is hike up the mountain. Unless you hike up the mountain and you get in his face, the rest comes. So the whole basis of which Christ wants to transform you and change me, is out of rest. It's not out of striving, but it does involve an effort to hike up the mountain. See the juxtaposition? Rest and effort. That's what's going on here. That's what this is symbolizing. That's what this is starting about. This is the starting place for what we bring. A combination of rest and a combination of urgency. Of deciding to hike up a mountain. Of making a willful decision to climb a mountain. Not staying in the valley. Realising there is a challenge here. But the challenge takes us... This is the beautiful thing. The challenge doesn't take us to anxiety, doesn't take us to exhaustion, the challenge takes us to rest. Ah. I believe we have two things. We have gifts to give away and character to be displayed. We have an extraordinary set of gifts to give away and we have character to be displayed. Each believer is given a continuous revelation by the Holy Spirit to benefit not just himself, but all. Corinthians 12. Read out again. Each believer, each one of you, every single one of you in this room, is given a continuous revelation by the Holy Spirit to benefit you, not just for himself, but for all. 
The reason why you and I are being given gifts is for the benefit of mankind. It's for the benefit of everybody that we meet. Every person we have a cup of coffee with. It's as simple as that. The gifts are to be given away. And what's so interesting is, you all know this really famous list of gifts, of the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongue, da-da-da-da. But do you know what it starts with? The gift of wisdom. That's the first gift that's in the list. And the principle of the first mention is always important biblically when there's a list. The thing that comes first is always important. There's a reason for that. Because wisdom is the foundation of which the other gifts operate from. Because wisdom is the application of knowledge or the application of gift. It's knowing when and how to use the gift. So that's the first point. The first point you and I are given, which is even more extraordinary, not only are we given wisdom, but he is offering you and I the gift to know how to apply that gift in wisdom. Isn't that fantastic? That within me is something within me that's a stirring in my spirit that knows when to use that gift. So, a friend of mine, Chloe Ellis, puts it in these words. She, She calls it the nudge. I love it. When you get the nudge, you go. You get, a little, you, I mean, you get a little nudge, don't you? You get a little nudge. I should go and speak to somebody. I should go and pray for somebody. I should go and care for somebody. I should go and do whatever. When you get the nudge, you go on the nudge. You don't wait for the second nudge. You just go on. I love that thought, don't you? Little nudge. Go, go, go on out. Go, go. Go on out. Go and do that. Oh, I don't really know why. I don't care. Just go. Just go. The little nudge. The little nudge. So that's the nudge. That's the wisdom of God. Character... If gifts are given, to truly understand the giver of the gifts and the nature of the gifts, what needs to be displayed is the character of God. These things are so symbiotic, it is just flipping ridiculous. And what we keep doing is separating them out. So we might go, I'm not very gifted, or my character isn't very strong. God wraps those two things together. He is character and gift in all that he does. Spiritual maturity and awakening is about both. So, if you want to really pursue the Christ at the moment... If you want to be really awakened and really go for it and be really used in the kingdom of God, then you need to do two things. You need to operate in the gifts that he has been given and you need to build your character. It's as simple as that. It comes down to those two very, very simple things. Okay? So then behind that, there is a massive, massive question. If we do this, we represent Christ in today's world in a way that he wants. If you just casually look at the entire relationship between Jesus and the disciples, all the way through, 
If you look through the entire book of Acts, all the way through, there's a theme that runs through, all the way through, that is so ridiculously consistent. It's very, very simple. He shows them how to do things. He shows them how to use gifts and bring miracles, and he deals with their character again and again and again and again. And it's the rhythm. Gift, character, gift, character. It's the heartbeat. It's the heartbeat of his discipleship. It's the heartbeat of God's framing of your life. What does God want to do? Gift. Character. Gift. Character. Gift. Character. Gift. Character. Gift. Character. Why? Because one feeds the other. You need both. And boy, are we seeing that in the church at the moment. Yep. Boy, are we seeing in our society at the moment. Yep. With all that's going on. The latest thing about Mike Pedavarch and all that stuff. If you've seen it in the press, it's all over everywhere. The latest thing, you think about Boris and his parties. Oh my God. Lord help us. Do we need leaders that carry gift and character, do we just? Do we just? Are we not very good at it? We're not. We're not. But this is what today's world really wants. What that community needs out there is the gifts of God. It needs the blessing of God. What it also needs is people that will model a character-filled life. That's it. Our world is hungry for gift and character. I got invited out for a meal in an Italian restaurant. That's always a good invitation. I've been facilitating for two and a half, two, what, day and a half in Portland. And there'd been a guy, one of 12 guys with me, who I was facilitating training in character leadership. I won't name the guy. This guy invites to take me out to Italian. My second offer was to go to a church home group. I decided to go for the Italian. And so I did. And we just shared pictures of our families because we were away. And that's what guys do. They get your phone out. And he shows me a picture of his wife. And I get a nudge. And I think, oh, give me a break. I'm in an Italian restaurant. I'm on my first old-fashioned, I'm really enjoying myself with a little whiskey in my hand. You know, I really don't need this quite now. Shows a picture of his wife. And I say, well, you know, you've seen what I've been doing for the last week. I've been sharing from pictures and showing things. Yeah. So I've got a picture for your wife. Don't have to give it, but if you want me to share it, I can. Yeah, I'd love to. So I say, okay, here's the picture. 
I said, your wife is swimming in water, but your wife is actually treading water, and your wife has been treading water for a year. I said, and it's a year, and that's important. It's a year. And now your wife swims away. He breaks down, starts to cry, and says, this week, I caught my wife in an affair, and it started a year ago. He's a mess, I'm a mess. Another old-fashioned is required. As I sit with him, so that's the gift bit. Now listen to the character bit that follows. He then says to me, what do you have to say to me? I said, I have one question for you. Will you swim after her? And he said, I can't. And I said, no, I know you can't. At this point, you shouldn't. But that question will always be there. Should you swim after her and go and try and save her and help her? That is gift and character. And that's how we are called to speak to our world. We are called to bring the word of God. We are called to bring that supernatural thing only God can bring. But we're also here to call the world to character. It's gift and character. It's blessing and authenticity. Your character is how you behave when no one is looking. No one was watching me in that bar. It was me and God. I had a choice to bottle it or to go for it. Yeah. Character is about how you behave when no one is looking. Character is about resilience, determination, and mission. Character is about having a sense of mission in our hearts for what God wants us to do. That is character. It's about resilience. It's about determination. It's about going again and again and again and again and again. Character is about being authentic. What is authentic? Authentic is being a true version of ourself with no mask. No mask, no deceit, just being who you are, not trying to be who you're not. I'm not telling you all to go into bars, have old fashions and do what I did. You could if you like. It's quite fun. The old-fashioned Karen Francis, most of all. But it's about you finding your authentic way of doing that, of being who you are and what you are and what that means. We've seen many gifts displayed this morning already. We've seen the gift of sorting out the coffee and creating a place of hospitality. We've seen the gift of creating a space for us to meet. We've seen the gift at the back of helping us to communicate through technology. We've seen the gift of worship. We've seen the gift of somebody drawing us in and helping us to a place of safety where we can meet with the Christ. We've seen loads and loads of gifts this morning. And none of them has a hierarchy. There is no hierarchy. So my gift is no greater because I'm speaking than the person who made the coffee. There is no difference. We're just operating in different things. There's no hierarchy here. We're a circle. Okay? We're in a circle. We're not in a vertical order. 
Here's my one-liner. I think most of us utterly underestimate the gifts we are carrying. I don't think we quite realise how much Christ has done. I think we've forgotten what we were like before our transformation. For me, I've forgotten the fear I was holding. I forget the guilt I was carrying, the deep insecurities that were in my heart. I forget my speech impediment, where I could, by the time I said good morning, it was good afternoon. I forget those things. I forget how deep my dyslexia was and how that really created fear in my heart. And I had a breakdown at the age of 11. I forget how frightened I was. How I felt I didn't really fit. I was the odd one out. I was the creative who dressed a bit differently. All those things I forget. I forget how lonely I was. But I've been transformed by the grace of God. Just reflect back now and just think about the amazing work that Christ has done in your life. Just think about what you were like before you met him and what he's done to you. It's just fantastic. It is a transfiguration. And you've been made white. You've been cleansed. You've been forgiven. And now you can stand in front of your great loving father whose arms are outstretched to you. That is your transfiguration. And out of that transfiguration, out of that transformation, you need to bring the gifts you have. You need to bring them. Because that is the work of the cross. No, it's actually the work of the resurrection. The cross is just a step to it. The real key is the resurrection. The real key is the risen Christ inside of you. The supernatural Christ, risen from the dead, inside of you, is the real key. Not the sin, not the cross. Churches focus too much on the cross. The answer is the resurrection. It's the place where transformation truly takes place. A little bit of theology for you there. So how intentional are you? And will you start taking these stepping stones? Will you start here? And will you have the courage to start walking across this river? Will you just go... Will you just take the nudge and go to there? And then when you get to there, perhaps you can get to there. And perhaps you can get to there, you can get to there. And all of a sudden, you've crossed the river. Small steps. Small steps. I'll finish with this. Your heart is a combination of a, of a number of things. First of all, your heart is gold. Mm-hmm. It's a bit heavy. Why do I believe that? I believe that because I believe in the work of the Christ in your heart. I believe that Christ has deposited gold in your heart. 
The gold of my daughter Georgia is the gold of acts of kindness. My daughter Georgia is amazing around acts of kindness. She's back this weekend, and the first thing she says to Sandra is, when are we going to go and see Grana? That's love. I want you, for a moment now, to honestly have an honest moment with yourself and say, what is my gold? I'll give you my gold. My gold is I'm compassionate. My gold is I'm strong on empathy. My gold is I'm generous. My gold is I try and walk in kindness wherever I go. That's my gold. That is not arrogance. That is being authentic and having a sober estimation of yourself. I know I'm not always good at those things, but I do know I carry that gold. And I'm not frightened to say it. So that's the gold in my heart. And when I give away that gold, the Holy Spirit lands on that and something quite extraordinary like that story I was telling you in America happens to me, which is totally and utterly impossible. And those that meet it don't understand it and call it intuition. And I've explained to them, sorry, it's a bit more than intuition. Hello? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the gold that I carry. What is the gold that you carry that you are to give away? What is it? What stops you giving away the gold are two things. And I credit Stephen Mara Clemick here. This is a bit of heart style teaching coming in here. I'll probably listen to this. So here you go. One side of what stops you operating out of gold is fear. You're just frightened to walk in it. You're frightened to share it. You're frightened to give it away. You're worried what people might say. So you go to avoiding. You never do it. Or you become over-dependent. Or perhaps you're frightened that you might get offended. So what you do then is you cover it up. What you actually do is this. For those of you on Zoom, I hid. You hide. You run away. Or alternatively... And how many times have we seen this? When you operate out of the love and gift in your heart, ego comes in. Pride comes in. Look at me. Look how gifted I am. What is that ego about? That ego 
is about filling a void. There's a void within you. And because there's a void within you, you go to ego. You try and puff yourself up and fill the void with something else. You might fill it with possessions. You might fill it with inappropriate behaviours of some sort. You might fill it with selfishness. You find all sorts of different ways to fill the void. Because there's a need in you to be filled, to be filled, to fill. Because there's a void there. And the void can come from all sorts of things. It can come from childhood. It can come from a lack of education. It can come from lack of self-confidence. It can come from abuse. It can come from all those things. And our heart is a combination of those things. So, dealing with disappointment is about dealing with the voids and the wounds. And allowing the Holy Spirit to come and for his heartbeat to stop it. And to take you out of the void, out of the ego, out of the pride, out of the fear. And what does it drive you into? It drives you into vulnerability, awareness, openness and love and as you minister your gifts your gifts must be ministered in love final thought if you have a word for somebody or an understanding for somebody about something let's just say there's somebody who's doing something and you think they're being a bit of a wally and you want to help them. Yes? Anybody got people around, that, around them that are a bit of Wallis? Or am I the only one that, that lives with Wallis? Yeah? Some Wallis at the back here. Here's my golden rule. Until I love, don't say, just pray. When you love, say. Say. Because words have power, and words bring freedom. Amen. Thank you, Al. Wasn't that great?